Grab your hard seltzer, a glass of wine, or a shot of tequila. It's time for Girl Talk. Let's get real. All right. Episode 15. Hello, everyone. We are here tonight. And um, Cheryl, do you want to tell what you're drinking? (laughs) Well, we are drinking the rest of our Austin East Ciders, which we did drink last episode also. But we, Vina, actually (laughs) put together our two favorites from our last episode into one drink. So she took a Blackberry Austin East Ciders and put a shot of peanut butter. Two shots. I was trying to make it sound a little better. Okay, two big ass shots of screwball peanut butter whiskey. And it legit smells and tastes like a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Yeah, it's It's really good. I had it. Really good. We went to um, Cidercade and we pre-gamed and that's what I was like, oh, what am I going to, you know, I want a good pre-game. So I like, oh, here, this sounds good. And that sounds like jelly and that sounds you know, so good. Together. Combined it and chugged it and it was like, wow, this is really good. So yes, it is. Highly, yeah, highly recommend it. So Austin East Ciders, Blackberry with... Screwball peanut butter whiskey. Very good together. Yes. Yeah. When you told me, I wasn't sure if I'd like it, but I absolutely love it. Yeah. It it goes down smooth, actually. It does. This is episode 15, and we're going to discuss... We had a lot of sayings. God, the, the discussion going into this one was a doozy, but we came up with five sayings, basically, that we say in everyday life, however... They, depending on the delivery and who you're saying it to at the time, they have toxic undertones and can definitely be the wrong thing to say at the wrong time. Definitely. And I I think they're so automated for us that they just come out and then maybe afterwards we might, well, some of us (laughs) might reflect and, and say, wow, maybe that wasn't the right thing to say at that time. But we just have those key phrases that, you know, fit. In a situation, maybe yeah. you've heard them yourself when you were in a similar situation, or maybe they're just something them. that people have always said. Yeah, so you're like, oh, I should say that too. But depending yeah. on the situation and the intent behind it, they definitely can be taken in different ways. And it took us so long to prep for this episode because there were so many phrases that we went through and thought, wow, that really can be seen as a toxic phrase in the wrong situation. Yeah. A hundred percent. And like I said, these are everyday sayings that just roll off the tongue and, and things that like, if you're hurting or whatever, you know, I might say to you and when you really dissect them and you get down to the bottom of it, the undertones of them are actually kind of hurtful and, right. and sometimes degrading. Like I, I'm trying to build you up and I'm actually being degrading to you. Yeah, in a sense. absolutely. So, so, uh, so maybe it's time we, we stop saying some of these things. And I think some of the phrases that we went through, not the ones we're going, going to talk about, but some of them are on their way out. I feel like there's some phrases that we looked at and talked about that aren't being used so much anymore. But these five I still hear all the time. All the time. Yeah. And they're definitely um, dangerous when said in the, in the wrong situation. Oh, yeah. Or with the wrong intent. It, and we want to put a disclaimer in here because we're not pro-cancel culture. That's not what this episode is about. These are just things that if you say them to the person in the the wrong time, and which is really, if you think about it, it's how they're used. I think they're used in the wrong time more than they are in the right time. 
you don't even realize what you're doing to that person and how that person, because they've been said to me and I thought at the time I didn't say it, but inside I thought, well, shit, you couldn't have said a worse thing to me. That is not what I need to hear right now. Right. It can almost make you feel worse, even though the intention is to make you feel better. Exactly. To be soothing, but it hurts. So we are going to dissect these five sayings Indeed, and we might have a little guest pop in every once in a while. We'll see. I think we most definitely will. And it's our first guest ever, I know. which is exciting. I know. Moving up in the world, we have guest hosts. <laughs> Woo. So if she does pop in, I have my daughter, my youngest daughter sitting in with us today. She wanted to come and see what it was all about. And she says, I don't know if I feel the need, I'll pop in. We'll see. So, hello, JC. <laughs> Is this where I say hi? Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and action. <laughs> hi. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> All right. So, um, do you want to start with number one? Sure. So, the first one that we came up with that uh, that I've heard it in many different situations, but when I reflect on this phrase, I hear it mostly from adults to children, regardless of the age. It could be a 30-year-old adult to a 7-year-old child, a 60-year-old adult to a 40-year-old child, you know, their child. Yeah. <laughs> but that's usually the sense that I that I hear it used in. And that's when someone says, well, I only want what's best for you. Yes. And that's a, such a dangerous thing to say because I'm sure they do think that they want what's best for you, but are they providing you with that phrase because they know what's best for you or because they want what they think is best for you, not what is necessarily best for you, if that makes sense? No, it does. And I think that that hits the nail on the head right, right there is that, I mean, I've, I'm guilty of saying this. And when I've said it, I only want what's best for you. If, if I truly think about those moments where I've said it to my children to, you know, people that I cared about a hundred percent, what my version of what's best for them plays a factor. This is what I think you should do. Yeah. So therefore you should do it. Right. And when we say that to someone, we're not taking what's best, truly best for them into account and into consideration because first of all, we haven't walked a mile in their shoes. We haven't lived a day of their lives. We haven't been inside and felt how they felt, mm-hmm. know their emotions, know their mental health. So I, I get the intent behind it, but you cannot say that when you say that, that you completely 100% remove what you think is best for them. I, I, I don't believe that. No, I don't either. And especially because it's so commonly used from parent to child or from older person mm-hmm. to younger person, because it implies that we are the holders of the knowledge and that we don't trust our child or the younger person to make a decision for what's best for them. Right. Like we are telling them what to do because we think it's best. But like you said, we don't know what's going on in their heads and we don't know what's actually best for them. Only they know that. No. With my daughter sitting right here right now, I can't say that anytime I've said that to them, you know, I only want what's best for you that I truly as a mom, understood 100% what was best for them. I know what I thought was best for them. Right. And I could be 95% right. But what about that 5% that they needed? I think we oftentimes think of, okay, well, I'm 95% right. But what if that 5% is something that is detrimental to them? Right. That they're missing. 
Just because it's a small percentage doesn't mean that it isn't a monumental thing. Right. And especially the older that that our kids get. Because when they're younger, we do spend pretty much all of our time, except for maybe school hours. But we're around them all the time. We know what they're doing. We know who they're involved with. We know what they're thinking for the most part. They're with us a lot. But as they get older, they have more outside influences. And there's things we don't know about that are going on with them. Not that they don't talk to us, but we don't know everything that goes on in their lives at all times. And so when we say that phrase to them, we're, again, pretending like we know what's best when there's stuff we don't know about. Right. I've even used this in not just using it for, you know, my kids and stuff. I've even used this for like a spouse or a a partner or significant other Uh where, you know, I only want what's best for you or I only want what's best for us. I've, you know, said that through my divorce, you know, I only want what's best for us in trying to grasp at straws to fix things Uh and then come to find out that maybe that wasn't what was best for him. That was just, I thought it was what's best for us, but his version of what's best for us is completely different. Right. So to put the divorce perspective on it, um, I definitely have, you know, have used that in the wrong way. And that's where communication comes in. Um, I think I posted a thing today on our story where it was like, oh, I'm going to pull this up because this was this was a really good one. It hit me hard whenever I first saw it. It's right here. It is by Khalil Gibran. And it says between what is said and not meant and what is meant and not said, most love is lost. And I thought That's that so was true. so true. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the that lack of communication where I, I don't know, I know what's best for us in my perspective. He hasn't necessarily communicated what's best for us in his perspective. And therefore there was, you know, what was not said is where love was lost. Right. And just a simple change of that expression to, I only want what you think is best for you. Yeah. Is it just changes the entire game of, of that expression because then you can open up that communication and, Say, you know, what do you think is best for you? Yeah. Yeah. Not only communication, but comprehension. Mm-hmm. You can communicate all you want, but if both sides of the party don't understand each other 100%, then nothing's going to work. You know what no, I mean? Like, yeah, it's, it's, yeah. Absolutely. Like, it's kind of those two go hand in hand, but comprehension slides under the table that and no one pays attention to it. Oh, I would have, you know what I mean? That's absolutely fuck. (laughs) Yeah, you're absolutely right. Because you can say to someone, well, I told you that. Well, just because you said that doesn't mean they understood it. Just because the words came out of your mouth, maybe you feel like you communicated, but maybe on their end, they didn't hear it the same way. Because comprehension comes from the communicator. Yeah. Yeah, it goes back Mm -hmm. to that, you know, they always kind of poke fun at it in therapy that whole line of so what I hear you saying is mm-hmm. <laughs> but there is validity in in regurgitating what you just heard and making sure okay th- do you mean this oh okay got it or no that's, right that's right, not right. at all what I meant yes. okay well because that's what I heard so elaborate yeah right I'm a genius <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean the apple doesn't fall far from the tree right no <laughs> I'm surrounded so by geniuses here y'all <laughs> Me, I'm the tree. <laughs> <laughs> All right, number two, 
And this one, I know we're going to get a lot of chiming in from from our guest today. Um, The world does not revolve around you. This was actually one that JC chose. Um, And do you want to explain why? Or do you want to just chime in? I'll just chime in. Okay. Okay. All right. So we say this all the time. With all of these, again, there, it, it's the time and place and who you're saying them to. Right. You know, the, you're going to find a good spin on it no matter what. But in the way that they're most often used is what we're right. discussing today. And when we tell someone, whether it be a significant other or especially when it's someone that's closely related to you, uh-huh. you know, it, in a close relationship to you. Right. When you say to them, if I tell a stranger the world doesn't revolve around you, well, clearly, you know, my world doesn't revolve around them. But in close relationships, we say, well, the world doesn't revolve around you. And we get it. But at the end of the day, your world is not my world and my world is not your world. Right. Those are actually, no matter how close we are, and you and I are best friends and a lot of things are intertangled and, mm-hmm. you know, our emotions and the way we feel about each other. But even with my kids, at the end of the day, my world is not theirs and their world is not mine. Right. So therefore, my world does revolve around me because it is my environment, my world. Right. And your world should revolve around you because you're living in this world for you. Mm-hmm. The intention behind that phrase, of course, is something along the lines of, you know, you're being a selfish little shit. Yeah. But that's not what that phrase actually implies. Right. It implies that you're not supposed to feel <clears throat> like you feel, but why not? If that's, that's what you're your, saying to someone when you say that, right, right. You're invalidating their feelings. Exactly. But at the base of that expression somewhere is the feeling that you're not supposed to choose things because you feel like they're best for you. But why not? Yes, you are. You're absolutely supposed to do what is best for you. And not everybody's going to agree with that. And that's okay. If you want someone to not be self-centered, say quit being an egotistical, self-centered little shit. Right. But to to say someone over, especially browbeat, beat it in them, you know, that the world doesn't revolve around them. They're eventually going to apply that to other decisions where they should be taking the fact right. that they are the main character, you know, to, to use a Gen Z term, that they are the main character in their life. Right. But, but you should be. You can be the main character and you can have your world revolve around you without being a selfish little shit. Yeah. So there should be differentiation in the way you use that expression. But I think it's they're used as one and the same. There's a harmful thing that Gen Xers have, have done. And maybe it's through toxic messages like this that have been beat into us. We have learned that when we make decisions, we don't... We don't put ourselves first in those decisions. Oh, you're not supposed to. Yeah, you're not supposed to. No, it's not about you. And it's phrases like this and sayings like this that have, have caused that. When we make decisions, I mean, there's a reason why you and I went 20 years thinking that our only focus was being a wife and a mother. We, it never even dawned on us that we could also fit time for ourselves and our right. own mental health and our own you know, dreams and our own passions and our own. We never even dreamed that that was a possibility because 
the world doesn't revolve around us. Exactly. It revolves around our, our job is to take care of our kids and our husbands. Right. And how dare you do anything that would make anyone think that the world revolves around you. Yeah. I've actually judged moms where I'm like, oh, oh yeah. my God, she goes out and she has these, you know, she has hobbies and she has, and she gets a babysitter while she goes and, you know, does things. She went on a girl's trip. Like, oh my God. Oh, oh I've, man. I was I've, so guilty yes. about judging girls trips. And now like, I can't wait to take one, yeah. but I was, I, I was so judgmental of that. Like, how do you leave your child for four days? Yeah. An entire to weekend. To go and have fun and drink with girls? Right. Like, oh my God. Uh, such a judgmental yeah. bitch when it came to that. Right. I own it. And it's because of thinking like this. Mm-hmm. Like, it's it, it's literally okay to take your life and say, you know what? There's a piece of this that does revolve around me. And by God, I have to, I have to, as a mother and as a wife, I have to reserve a piece of me. Well, it, it's not only okay, it's healthier. hundred percent. You can't pour from an empty cup. We've all heard that. And, but we run around on empty. So many of us our age. Oh my God. Run around on empty because that's what we're told we're supposed to do. Yeah. I, yeah. I would much rather see from a kid's perspective I would much rather see my parents or anyone who impacts my life the most still have their own identity rather than lose sight of it. And then whatever they're revolving their life around at the time when those kids or whatever grows up or they move on, they're left with like no identity and no, Mm -hmm. they have no idea how to really be with themselves. And I would much rather people be more in touch with themselves. Also, like, not too much. You know, because right. you still have shit to, like, do and things to take care of. But be more in tune with yourself rather than not at all. Or else you're going to lose touch with that completely. And then you're going to be older and not know what the fuck to do. Which is exactly what's happening with yeah. your mom and I's generation. Because I, I'm in a bunch of different empty nester groups now. And the amount of women that post on those different platforms and have no idea what to do with themselves. It is insane. It's heart wrenching. It is. It is because they have spent their entire lives not revolving the world around them. And then when they're not parenting anymore, they don't know what to do with themselves. They don't have hobbies. They don't have friends. They don't, they don't know what to do. They feel lost. Absolutely. It's a, it even compounds it when you're divorced. So now you're divorced. Now you don't have your children in the home. You're, you're not a wife. So now what? Mm-hmm. And you have gone in our case, two decades without ever putting yourself like thinking about your own dreams and your own passions and your own hobbies and your own number one, you don't even know how to, where to begin, like how to begin. Right. And, and I think the fact that JC has a amazing perspective on that before she's even married, if you do ever choose to get married, but before you even, (laughs) before you ever have, you know, a long relationship like that, I I think your generation, after watching our generation be at a 70% divorce rate, I think your generation will learn from that and and make better choices. And you understand at 19 what I didn't understand till 45 years old, that that I 
should keep my identity. I yeah. didn't know that. Oh, no. I've only learned that in the past seven years. Right. Like, legit only learned that after my divorce. And it was, it. I had hit rock bottom and was coming back up and was like, oh, shit. The world revolves <laughs> around me now and yeah. I don't know what to do. <laughs> I, and even then, I, I, I still felt guilty. Like, I felt guilty if I if I made decisions based on myself or even in the natural realm of things, you know, not everybody, but a lot of people when they go through divorce after long marriages and especially when they, you know, were blindsided by it or, you know, the rug was pulled out from underneath them. When you hit rock bottom and we've talked about, you know, dropping our basket before and, mm-hmm. you know, doing some crazy ass stuff because you're not in the, the best of head spaces, right. um, then the guilt sets in. So even when you go out and you're like, I don't know how to have fun, but this looks fun. I'm going to do this. And you realize instantly that you have guilt compounded upon that. And you're just like, you're, it, you're a fucked up mess is oh, basically yeah. what it comes down to. hundred percent yeah. agree with that. Yeah. And it, it, it takes you a minute. And in that time, you're learning all of this for yourself while still trying to act like you got your shit together and try to be a mom and try to, you know, look at when your ex looks at you, try to act like you've got everything together uh-huh. and you're all put together and I've got it figured out. No, thank you. I don't need your help. When inside <laughs> you're like, I have no idea what I'm doing and I'm scared shitless. Like I literally cry in my closet every day. Top right. of thing. Exactly. Yeah. But you don't want anybody to know. Right. Yeah. It's, it's one of those silent sufferer things. Well, yeah, because we've, because then it makes us seem selfish <clears throat> and we've been told the world doesn't revolve around us. Ding, ding. Yeah. All right. You want to do number three? All right. So the next one, we have to give props to JC because she also came up with this. Yeah. One. Um, it, the idea that, so we said he, because it was the three of us ladies that were discussing it, but I think she fits in there too. Yep. But the idea that he or she gives me butterflies. So it's in, all the movies, all the fairy tales, you know. Oh, yeah. He gives me Just like our thoughts. episode 13. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. That's right. So at its core, of course, it's supposed to be beautiful and wonderful. And, you know, he makes me feel some sort of way. And mm-hmm. could this be real? And could this be love? And it's, it's supposed to be a positive expression. The be- yeah, an innocent beginning to love type right. of thing. Yeah. Right. But where it can get dangerous is when you don't really understand those butterflies if they continue to happen. I think when you first meet someone and you first are getting to know someone, just nerves take over. Mm-hmm. You know, is is this something? Do we, do we click? Are we going to have fun? What are we going to talk about? You know, all those things that go with getting to know someone. But then if you're a few months down the line and you're still having this uneasy feeling in, in your stomach, then I think it's a place to pause and think a little bit about those butterflies. Are they genuine butterflies because you're excited to see them and you hope you have a great night? Or are they more butterflies of worrying about how things will go or worrying if you're going to be judged. Do I look good enough for him? What is he going to think? Right. The reaction. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I definitely think it's a it's a perspective, or it, it's dependent upon the situation. If it continues over time, are you are you scared to tell him certain things? Do you have butterflies to tell him certain things because you're afraid of his reaction? Yeah. And we're not necessarily talking about uh, you know abuse or you know things like that. But if he constantly comes back with the you know a high strung negative reaction, and you're you're you have butterflies about those things after right. you know a At while. At this point, it's just. Anxiety mislabeled. There you go. Exactly. And that's what you need to be able to differentiate between for sure. And some people are really in denial when they're in relationships and they have really bad anxiety about their partner and what they think that they label it and try to convince themselves that it's like, oh no, he just makes me excited. Like I, this is what happens. This is butterflies, whatever. And that can just eventually add up and, like, lead to, like, bad things. But it's the whole mislabeling that people don't know how to tell apart those two. Right. Yeah. Spot on. Yeah. I agree. You're, 100%. You're, like, three for three tonight. <laughs> I'm a genius. <laughs> I get <guess>. established. Yes. <laughs> well, yeah, because uh, in the general term, butterflies just means you have that pit in your stomach but that's not always a good thing no and and there's a difference between oh he makes my heart skip a beat or my heart my heart race or you know i yeah if after you've been together you know 17 years and he's still making your heart race when you see him that's different still electric love yeah exactly exactly. that's different than you know like you said the the anxiety and i think you're spot on in the fact that yeah yeah you should be on edge yeah and butterflies, butterflies indicate nervousness. Uh-huh. There's a relation between nervousness and anxiety. And so I think uh-huh. you hit the nail on the head with that where we mislabel that. Yeah. And you should, right. feel, you should feel comfortable with your partner. You should feel safe where you shouldn't even really get those at all unless you haven't seen them in a month and you're like excited because you're doing yeah. long distance, whatever. But Or you have a surprise for him and you really aren't sure how he's going to yeah, take it. Right, or, right, yeah. Right. I mean, there are moments. But should you you should initially like initially feel safe and comfortable and able to not have anxiety, able yeah. to not be on edge, not have a pit in your stomach. Every, like every time you see them, you shouldn't have to worry about those things. Right? I fully agree. Excellent. Mm-hmm. Um. All right, number four, and we'll save the best one for last. But number four. As we've always done, you know, this we know we have some male listeners and we've always been fair to our the the men in our stories and the male perspective and everything. Um, we tell our stories as is. I mean, we divorced males, so therefore there's going to be some some content there. But for the most part, um, you know, we are definitely not anti-men. So throwing one out for y'all, real men don't cry. I have heard this. I have actually heard my ex say it to my son, but that's because I've heard his father say it to him. Oh, absolutely. I've heard my brothers say it, you know, so it's definitely a generational thing. And I think it's definitely depending on the family you come from. I think we're hearing it less and less, but I still think there is a very large um, influence there. I growing up heard that expression a lot from different men in my family. Or, or my circle, whatever the case may be. And while I don't hear it as much anymore, the sentiment is still very much there. And I think we've just morphed it into man up. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah. It's, it's the same it has worked, idea. Yeah. It's yeah. just a different expression. But the, the idea is still, you know, you don't cry. You can't show that you're hurt. You have to be strong no matter what. And you can't appreciate sensitive things. You right. can't fully agree. Uh, one of the things that my husband and I do is we love sappy movies. You know, he hates it when I share that with other people. <laughs> And he's like, you know, oh, I don't cry, you know, and, and he jokes about it and stuff, but he's also, thank goodness, in touch with his emotions enough where he can say, just kidding, I cried like a fucking baby, you know? Right. But he he's just like, you don't have to tell everybody that because his natural instinct is, no, I don't cry at movies. You know, I don't watch girly movies. I'm a man. Right. You know? But that's what we do to our sons. That's what we do to these young boys, you know, growing up to be men, we literally place the barrier there between themselves and their emotions. Right. And then we wonder why they have fucked up emotions when they get older. We wonder why when we're dating them, that they're not in touch with their sensitive side. We need for them to understand where we're coming from as some of the most sensitive human beings on the planet. Mm-hmm. But yet we raise these guys to, to grow up and be disconnected from their emotions so you want them to understand us, but they are not allowed to understand themselves? Right. What kind of fucked up reasoning is that? And who does that but the women and older men in their lives that women have done it to? Right. And we need to give them permission and let them know that it's okay to do that in our presence yeah. or, or not, depending on their comfort level. The, the men and the women need to be able to say that. Yeah. Whether it's a, a father to a son or me to my boyfriend, whatever the case is, we need to be able to say, you know, let's sit here and cry it out. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? You know what, Dad? I'm 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 actually fucking sad right now. Like right. I'm sad and I need to cry. Right. Okay, son. Let get it out. And let's talk about it. Yeah. Let's cry together. Yeah. Come here, I'll hug you. Yeah. I'm actually getting choked cry. up because you're sad. Right. You know. But that's just not what we're taught in, you know, in certain generational lines yeah. that, and that breaks my heart because I've taught my son to cry and I've, I've told him that it's okay. I've sat and held him while he cried. I'm mm-hmm. sure that he doesn't listen to this. So he'll <laughs> never know I said that. Except for his sister sitting right here. So she forever has blackmail on you now. I've held him. I've held him while he cried. Oh, yeah. That's like, so sweet. Yeah. With, with my generation, my age range, I think we're more open to letting, like, we're more accepting about males crying. You know, I have friends, guy friends, who whenever they're together, they don't really know about this, but we know that they cry. Like, yeah. Word gets around that they've shed a couple <laughs> tears and had a couple sad bro nights, you know. But I think, like, I promote, like, my boyfriend to cry you know mm-hmm. I would much rather him cry than cope in a different way that leads to either anger or isolating or self-sabotage I would much rather him cry and be in tune with his emotions and be vulnerable than do something that could be twice as bad yeah I think crying, crying is beautiful it's it shows that you're able to be vulnerable doing it shows that you're able to like especially with someone that you're safe around it's like it shows that you're able to trust that person. You're able to have them trust you with what you need to like say or whatever. And I feel like it's more accepting, but Mm -hmm. it still needs to be worked on. I mean, sometimes my boyfriend, he's like, I don't 
cry? And I'm like, you do. <laughs> but but you but you let him know that that's okay. Yeah, and I, I think that's so important because even if at first he's trying to cover that up, eventually he's going to know like, okay, I, I just, I need to cry right now. And she's right here and I can't hold it back. But he's going to remember yeah. that you're like, it's, it's, it's okay. Nothing to be ashamed of. Right. Yeah. Nothing. Right. I cry so much, and he <laughs> deals with me crying. Like, if anything... We, we all, have you met us? <laughs> hi, we're Cheryl and Vanna. Uh, hi, this is Cheryl. She cries every episode. I, I have not cried yet. Let's go. I cry over <laughs> stupid stuff. Like, it's insane. And the fact that, like, he even feels comfortable to cry over stupid stuff with me as well, or just even show me that side, I promote it and I hype him up for it. I'm thank you for doing that. I tell him that's great. It's the most beautiful thing anything anyone can ever do. Is just be vulnerable and cry. That's good. It, it's yeah, it, it's actually very masculine and very sexy. Yeah. Real men do when, cry. Yeah. And when, that's a real when man. they can be that vulnerable in front of you, that shows that they're going back to the butterflies thing, that that they're safe and they're comfortable to do that. And I think that that's way more masculine than someone who tries to hide that they don't have emotions. And it because helps, we all have emotions. Yeah, and it helps me trust them more. Because right. if I'm able to see that they're not doing some batshit crazy thing, dealing with their emotions, punching walls and shit, I don't want to be around that. Right. Yeah. I want to avoid that. But if they're crying, I want to be around that. I want to help them. That's like something I can relate to, you know? It's something I can help them with. Uh-huh. So truly thinking about it, like if you, if you truly sit down and think about it, 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 it hurts to think about, imagine being a boy, then a young man, then a man who his whole life has been taught that real men don't cry. Real men swallow their emotions. Real men are not connected to their emotions. Real men take whatever they're feeling. Oh, I'm hurt. I'm, I'm upset. I'm devastated. And I'm, I'm putting that to the side and I'm not dealing with it because my job is just to keep going forward. And then there's so many women that wonder why their man isn't emotionally available to them. Exactly. <laughs> He's been shut down his entire life. That's what I'm talking yeah. about. Yeah. 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 Exactly. That was, that was my point earlier. Yeah. We want them to connect with us who are some of the most emotional beings on earth, but they've been shut down their whole life. Right. And some of them literally don't know how to connect with their emotions. When their emotions come on too strong, they almost panic. I've seen it firsthand. Mm-hmm. I have seen it where you've lived your whole life being told not to not to acknowledge your emotions. And when it comes on and you can't stop it, you can lose your mind. And I've seen them lose their mind. Well, like JC said, that's where the punching walls and all of that comes in. Yeah. Because they don't know what else to do yeah. with all that pent up emotion. Yeah. Maybe they just need a good cry and a Pine of Ben and Jerry's. Yeah. Works for me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it works too well for me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but that that's, I think that is so fucking profound is that we ignore the fact that that is how most, I would say most men are raised to feel like they shouldn't acknowledge their, um, their emotions. You're not, you're not a real man if you're, you know, if you're in tune with your emotional side. But I do see little by little signs of that changing, which 
I, I know with the, the younger generation, it's definitely more accepted. And even a couple months ago, I was watching Luca on mm-hmm. Disney Plus with, <laughs> yeah, with my, my boyfriend and his daughter and his nephew. And we were all watching. And, of course, the, the part, spoiler alert, <laughs> at the end where, uh, where they get wet. Yeah. I won't spoil it all the way. If you haven't seen it, go watch it. It's really good. And here's two 40-year-old, 40-something-year-old people just bawling. Yeah. And his daughter looked over at him and said, Daddy, are you crying? And he said, yeah, that was beautiful. And I was like, that was fucking cool. Yeah. And she was like, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> like she, and, and that was such an important lesson for her at eight years old at the time to be able to see, oh, okay. My dad cries at beautiful parts of movies. Yeah. Sometimes that, we were watching, okay. my boyfriend and I were watching that movie and this scenario made me feel like a cold-hearted bitch because at the end, <laughs> at the end, you know, there's a train scene at the end, oh, and well. my boyfriend started bawling, and he looks over at me, and he's like, "How are you not crying?" And I'm like, "I don't know. Like that was that was very beautiful, but like I just am not crying." And he's like, "How are you not crying?" <laughs> but he's an Italian man that left home. I mean, he had to rest yeah. so much oh, with yeah. that yeah. scene. And I was like, I felt bad, and I was like, "Do you want me to fake tears?" <laughs> Like, I almost felt like I was the person that grew up told not to cry. Just just doing a shout out since the holidays are coming up. If you haven't seen Klaus on Netflix, the, it's, it's an original, Netflix original. It's K-L-A-U-S. My husband and I probably cry, cried three or four times. I refuse. Like, to, legit. I refuse to watch that movie for the second time, so I don't bawl my eyes out. Yeah. Wow. Great. I haven't seen it. Great movie. Like underrated. One of the the most underrated holiday movies. But it's kind of like the true story of Santa Claus. One of those, you know, it's it's an approach you wouldn't expect. Exactly. Ooh. Yeah. But get, get your tissues. Okay. Grab those tissues because (laughs) I don't know how many times where both of us would, we're like watching and we look at each other like, Oh my God. I can't. Yeah. Great movie though. Okay. Damn, that's a good movie. All right. We're going to get to the last and biggest one. And I think this is the one we actually had the biggest conversation on. We had quite a debate on this. Yeah. In the pregame. Yeah. Um, Go ahead. So we want to pick apart the, I I feel like this has been around forever. And Mm -hmm. I've definitely said this a gazillion times in my life. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. And I know the sentiment behind it is, you know, you can say whatever you want to me. I'm strong and I won't let it affect me, which is all fine and dandy if you're that confident and you can actually do that. And, and there are some cases when I can honestly say that. In some cases I can. Right. But there's also cases where that just is an awful, awful, awful thing to say because it gives people the idea that words don't hurt. Exactly. And then, okay, if words don't hurt, then are we removing emotional and mental abuse completely? <laughs> right. Uh, because if, if we're going to actually believe this and, and say sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Then we are 
literally taking the foundation of all of the emotionally and mentally abused people and saying that they have no grounds to stand on. Right. And that's not true at all. It's not, but I feel like the basis of this expression is, I mean, not to blame, but is something that played in my mind when I was being mentally and verbally abused. Like these words aren't supposed to hurt. They're just not, you know, sticks and stones. Because yeah. we fall back on that. Right. Because that, that's, that's, we, we chant this to make ourselves feel better. Exactly. When what we should be doing is addressing the fact that that there are times, and and as someone who's grown up in a in a physical and an emotional abusive situations, I, I've been in both, mm-hmm. and I'm not going to say this is for everyone. Put that disclaimer out there, right there. Not saying this is for everyone, but the time that I was physically hurt, there was a there was a finality to it. I can honestly say my emotional abuse changed my personality. It changed my spirit. It changed my overall health because I became depressed and therefore it got really, really big. It, it changed the emotional abuse that I endured from my family growing up, changed how I feel about, I'm 47 years old and I can honestly say that I have a form of body dysmorphia because of the things that my family said to me for four decades. Mm-hmm. So to say that words don't hurt you and to expect someone, you know, I, I've had people say, use that as a way to get me to feel better about something. Right. But that undermines the the depth of the pain of those words. And especially when those words are incessant, and who they're coming from. Right. Right. And I think because we're constantly taught that words shouldn't hurt, we don't always necessarily then identify those words in that moment as abusive or as wrong. And so I'm speaking specifically of my own case, but I have read enough of other people's situations that I know this happens with a lot of people who were verbally abused. You, if you're hit in the face, you know it's wrong. Mm-hmm. That person should not have hit me, period. Yeah. If you're told you made a stupid decision and how can you be so dumb, then you don't always necessarily understand that that's a wrong thing to say. You're like, yeah, why, why was I so dumb? Why did I think that? After you've been broken down enough, you, it just insidiously takes – you over and you don't understand that those words are just chipping away at you yeah. to the point where you don't know who you are anymore. So you start to believe them. You start oh, to you start to think there's some validity to them. For sure. You dwell on them. <laughs> yeah. You cause overthinking. Yeah. Yeah. I would, if you get hit, you know what it means in the moment. Yeah. Right? You know, you don't dwell on it. You're like, it is what it is. If you say some shit to me that I don't quite understand, I'm going to think about it, especially that's the type of person I am. And I can interpret that in any way, any form. And if I interpret it in a way that's detrimental to my own mental health and I dwell on it, that's going to hurt me a lot more later on than being hit in the face. 
Oh, for sure. And you have to be an incredibly strong, confident person to not let those words hurt when they're coming out of the mouth of someone that you love and that you seek validation from. Yeah. Whereas if someone hits you, you can easily put the blame on them. And I'm not saying that some people who are physically abused don't think that it's their fault because I know that does happen too. That chips away at you too. That changes you too. So. So this is definitely not what we're saying. Right, right, right. Neither is good. No. Neither is good. No. I'm just saying one (laughs) is more obviously wrong. Right. From when you're involved in the situation and you're so far in that you've kind of lost perspective on reality. Yeah. You can still get hit and say that was wrong. You might go down that path of, what did I do to cause that? Right. And I understand that's part of being abused. And and a lot of times physical abuse is, is accompanied with verbal mm. abuse. Oh, for sure. So, I mean, there's, there's not really, there's very rare instances where they just hit you without tearing you down verbally. Right. So, it, I mean, that's just part of it. Every physical abusive situation that I've been in and or witnessed growing up in a home with it, it Verbal abuse plays, I mean, that's what starts it. Right. And then the physical ends it. Exactly. You know, every every attack. But the verbal is just like incessantly long. And then the physical is quick and over. Mm-hmm. You know, and and so I, I do I do think that you're you you're on the track about those those words damn. I mean, they do something to you. Yeah, yeah. Especially if you endure them at a young age when you're still easily influenced by everything around you, it causes like the worst. It, it just leads to the worst. Yeah. I mean, I've experienced. It changes your development. Yeah. I've experienced some emotional challenges. That's what I'm going to say. Growing up that I, I had nothing to compare it to. I wasn't raised in abusive households and I'm thankful for that every single day. But when it's like emotional and you're a kid and you don't know, you don't understand what they're trying to say. You just know that they're meaning it in a hurtful way. That caused a lot of setback later on in my life because I dwelled on that the most because I was still trying to understand it by the time I did reach 18 years old. Now me being 19 years old, I'm still trying to comprehend some things like words said that I just would much rather fight with my sister, have her drag me down the stairs than have that emotional challenge. Yeah. Mind game. Right. Yeah. No, I I would 100% agree with that. And again, I'm not saying one's worse than the other. I'm just pointing out differences. Physical wounds, you know, I can come over and put an ice pack on your eye and I can see that it hurts and I can understand that you're in pain. Internal wounds like that, that chip away at who you are inside, people can't see that. They don't know if you need help. It's even hard to convey it. on your face. Yeah, yeah. How do you explain to someone that you're you're slowly dying inside from you know the the words that are constantly said to you, and it, to go even further, when when I was growing up, 
and was kind of the target of the family, I was too young to understand what was happening to me. Right. I, I was too young to even say to my mom, mom, tell them to stop saying that to me over and over and over again. And it wasn't until I got to be, you know, I started having kids of my own and I got older, older and they were continuing to say it. And I was pregnant and hormonal. And I remember like turning around and just losing my shit. But by this time I'd always lost my shit, but never addressed it. And I became known as the dramatic one. I became known as the one that couldn't take a joke. I became, and it was just like, just, it just piled one on top of the other but I remember the first time that I ever lost my shit and said, they said, we've been saying that to you your whole life. And I'm like, yeah, exactly. Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> and do you think for even the fucking slightest moment that it didn't absolutely kill me, that I now have issues because of it, that I, when I look at myself in a mirror, that's what I see because all I hear is your words. I, I see what you've pointed out. My entire life, since I was old enough to remember you talking to me and you, you want me to, you want me to, as a child, as a developing child to have dealt with that, to have processed that like a fucking adult. Well, yeah, you have no way to know that it's wrong. Ex- exactly. You just know that you're supposed to. I don't know what's to, happening to right. me. You only know that you're supposed to trust those people. Hmm. Supposed to. Supposed to. Right. And they may not have meant it in a way that was that it was coming off because maybe that's all they knew. But the point is, is that someone, a, an adult in the family, someone with some kind of adult type perspective, didn't see it, didn't stop it, didn't care enough. Mm-hmm. And and I'm not saying oh poor is me oh but but I'm. I'm putting that out there because I know for a fact that there are children out there that are living in homes where the parent or siblings or, you know, family members, cousins, whoever, they think it's fun to just constantly degrade and berate somebody. And oftentimes it's one kid that becomes the target of the family Uh and you don't realize what is, what's that, what that's doing to them. We always tell our kids, you know, suicide aware awareness month, watch out for the bullies at school and tell your kids to look out for the, what about the fucking bullies at home? Right. What about the bullies in your own family who it's just, it's fun. Oh, it's fun. I'm joking. Yeah. My whole life. Like stop being dramatic. Oh my God. Here we go again. Are you going to cry now? Yeah. At my niece's wedding, at my great niece's wedding, I took punch after punch after punch after punch. And I admit I'd had too much to drink, but on the way home, I bawled my eyes out because I realized, oh my God, I'm 47 and I don't know how to deal with that. Wow. Like, I still don't know how to deal with that. And that's embarrassing. And then I was embarrassed and I was mad and I was like, ruined the whole evening, you know, in the car. And it was a, it was a mess because I still didn't know how to deal with those rolling punches that never stop. Because inside you're still a hurt child. Oh, that makes me mad, though, whenever I feel like that. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. But it's I'm not, not supposed to feel like that hurt little child. I'm a grown-ass woman with three grown-ass kids. But if that's never healed, it's just going to keep showing itself in over and different over places. Yep. You know, it keeps coming out until it's healed. So, uh, Hello, therapy. 
<laughs> Take more of my money and tell me how amazing I am. That's what I hear you saying is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think that's why so many adults are doing inner child work because if we have those things that no one has ever fixed for us, we get to our age and we're like, well, shit, no one else is going to fix it. I guess I have to fix it myself. Yeah. And then you have to go pick up pieces that someone else broke for you. Right. Which and sucks. Also, people, they learn, people mask how they feel easily a lot of the time. So a lot of the times you don't know, like, what someone's going through. Even though, like, you see, like, shit that, like, their cousins or whatever says to them, like... And it looks like they're fine. It's just they've learned how to mask it. And sometimes they've learned how to mask it too well. Mm -hmm. I've done this. To where it forms a fake reality where your mind tricks you into thinking you're okay. Until you reach a point that you're not aware of that you're approaching. Until you reach that point and then you break. Mm -hmm. You have a mental break. Yeah. And it's the worst thing because you don't see it happening. You mask for so long that it's like no one else is no one else knows so then you also Mm -hmm. look like a psycho Mm -hmm. because you've endured this for so long formed a fake reality and then you just ignore it until whatever age you reach Mm -hmm. where you have a crisis or you're exhausted and you can't hold up that mask and that's the worst because you don't know how hard that person is going to take that break Mm-hmm. Or how deep that break is going to be. Right. Mm-hmm. No, 100%. Some people never come back from those breaks. Yeah. And that's the yeah. worst. Yeah. We, we, were, we were just talking. I have a good friend who every year, um, she just posted recently, her brother when he was 13. And he's just the cutest little blonde boy. Um, she posts this picture every year. And he committed suicide when he was 13 years old. I think 23 years ago, she just posted and he was, it was because he was being bullied at school at home. He was this happy go lucky kid. They didn't understand what was going on. And at school he was being incessantly bullied. One of the things that she said that really struck a chord to me this year was, um, if you see bullying happen, go be a hero to the victim. Like all too often we're told to go and speak up to the bullies, but sometimes like, of course, yeah, maybe they need to be dealt with, but sometimes the victim needs for you to walk over and just be a hero to them to say, Hey, you know, what's your name? Let's talk like, Mm -hmm. and just, you know, talk to them. But when she posts that, I always think that's a great reminder, but we're trained to only recognize those bullies outside of our home. Mm-hmm. And all too often they happen within our home. We feel out of control even more so than outside influences. We feel very out of control on how to stop it with, within our home, within our families. Oh, for sure. It's confusing. Yeah. Cause those are people that you want to be surrounded by that you want to you confide in or have them confide in you or confess things and have and discuss things with but you can't because you're always on the defense right and that's that's supposed to be your safe place yeah and these are the people you're supposed to have your most intimate relationships with Mm -hmm. and instead they've broken you down so long that you you don't you don't feel safe there anymore right but you fake feeling safe because it's family because you have to for your own survival because if you don't 
what else do you have that just can anger the person who's being the bully even more oh yeah what, what are you moody for what are you moody poke 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 and then you just become more of a target and and plus if you don't fake it what else do you have right that's your family yeah it it's that hits that one hits really home to me because of the family that that I grew up in where it was it was just it was just allowed wow. and just it was what it was whether it was from their insecurities or whatever, I'm, I'm not here to um, deep dive it or understand it, but just if you're listening and it rings a bell and you've seen it in your own family or you're, you're listening to this thinking, you know what? Oh shit. Maybe I'm even doing it or mm-hmm. I've, I've seen it happening. Fix it. Not even like straight up hurtful words, but also emotional manipulation. Yeah. Oh, for sure. That one slides under the table too much Mm -hmm. that one gets away with you can get away with a lot with emotional manipulation and people will turn it around on you and be like well what they said wasn't entirely hurtful there's loopholes to this Mm -hmm. so why and they will get on to you about reacting so angrily or so bitchy and then it makes you second guess yourself. Mm-hmm. Right. You're the one that was upset. They're going to come back manipulating you even more so than, than, you know, then they're going to be more upset than you. And the next thing you know, you're like, wow, now you're defending yourself well, yeah, or defending the situation or right. is that what you're talking about? Kind of like when I'm talk about emotional manipulation, it's, if someone has a lot of baggage themselves and they have no way of taking it out on someone that they feel is proper, they may take it out on younger kids or whoever else is in their household. And if you're a child and you don't quite understand that, and they aren't saying exactly like straight hurtful words, but they're saying things that have loopholes that can be justified that aren't entirely justifiable, but they know you don't entirely understand, but they know that they have control over the whole situation. And with whatever response you say, they have a backup plan for that. That makes it switch around to them to make it seem like they're kind of the victim. Mm -hmm. And then you're made out the bitch now who now has to rethink the whole situation. Mm -hmm. And then you're like, fuck, I am the bitch. But you're not. Yeah. But you think you are. But you which think meant, you are. Right, right, right. But and you're not. Sometimes it's years later that you realize, oh, wait. Things wait, hold on. Yeah. yeah. Wait a damn minute. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I would 100% agree with that. Mm-hmm. I think we definitely chose five sayings that are used a lot. A lot. And again, disclaimer, depends on who's saying them, when they're saying them, how they're saying them. And to who, whom they're saying them to, right. to whom? Hi, uh, <laughs> I'm Bina. I have an English degree. Okay, and an Austin East Sider yes. by her True. side. So you know we can't yeah. have it all at the same time. A college dropout at the end of the table. Yeah. <laughs> Stop. I'm super proud of you. You're going to real estate school, so. Um, but yeah, I, I first of all, I want to thank JC, my daughter, for being a part of this and her input um actually shocked me a lot tonight like I knew you were I knew you were intelligent and profound obviously you're my daughter but to hear some of those things come out of your mouth at 19 I don't know that I know 
at 19. I did not think like you. Um, my head was so far up my ass. I was not in the same place. So yeah. it, it well, everyone's different. It I does grew me up super in an proud. environment that allowed me to be observant. So plus, you're far more introspective than I am. I keep an open mind, take in other perspectives before I imply my own shit. But you do understand that that's very mature of a 19 year old to be able to do, right? Um, no. I don't quite know that because to me, I feel like everyone should be this in touch with things because I'm glad I'm this in touch with all of this Mm -hmm. because this is going to help me more in the future. I'm glad that I took my time, my teenage years learning all of these and being capable of being observant and keeping open mind and open perspective on things. I honestly like didn't know that like, it was so mature of me as a 19-year-old to be like this because I thought everyone should be like this. Right. Because it's going to allow me not. to figure shit out easier. But No, you're very, very mature mm-hmm. for a, a 19-year-old. And I, I can honestly, honestly say that. And I also think your youngest daughter, uh, of course our oldest daughters, you know, they're so different. Our oldest daughters and our so youngest different. daughters are so different. <laughs> so different. Hey, I don't know. Yeah. But I'm not quite sure what you mean by that. <laughs> but I definitely, I, you know, you two are good friends and our best friends have been. But it, it always shocks me. I've had deep conversations with you and your youngest daughter. And mm-hmm. it, it always shocks me some of the, the things that come out of y'all's mouths. Because I was 19 and I could honestly, I know, well, it was a long time ago. No, I can honestly remember 27 years ago, I did not think like that. And and a lot of mine, maybe it's because, and I'm not patting myself on the back or tooting my own horn, but I set out when, when I married your dad, I set out to break generational curses. I said, I'm not going to bring kids into the world without breaking certain curses. So hopefully those generational curses that, that hindered me a bit, that's hopefully that plays a part into the reason why you are so mature and so put together at 19. Hopefully that does, because I think that would, that would at least give me a little bit of, okay, mom, you set out to do that, to raise your kids in a whole different environment and break those generational curses. Chloe actually taught me a lot of like how I think because she like matured mentally faster than I did and her perspective on things is very she knows what she wants very simple she understands a lot but she has her own ways and she's actually influenced me to think more with an open mind and not be so like quick with responses and how I think like she has this famous phrase it's not that deep which gets on my fucking nerves because when I want to react in a way that I just want to be dramatic, she's like, Jay, it's not that deep. I'm like, fuck, you're right. <laughs> but but, but that's not what you want to hear yeah, at that moment, right? You're I like, damn it, I want it to be deep right now. But like, you're right, it's not that deep. Like, yeah. in, in reality, like, I'm just being dramatic about it. She just helped me keep, I guess, like, a mature side of things. Have a mature side of things. Like, yeah. Look, not, not even that, but like. A mature perspective. Yeah. Well, I think one thing that I admire a lot about your and her friendship is that you guys are so real with each other. You 
are both confident and comfortable enough in your friendship that you can say the hard stuff to each other and not all 19 year olds can do that because they're too busy trying to like, Oh girl, you're perfect. No girl, you're perfect. And you guys just are okay with calling each other out on things. And that's, that's super cool about your friendship. And I love that a lot. Yeah. I've literally witnessed y'all call each other out on things. And I've thought, She's oh, put me in my place too many times. Yeah. <laughs> I've put her in her place a few. <laughs> a few. <laughs> when I could. <laughs> Whenever I was right about something. <laughs> but I've also had friendships like I do now where it's kind of like, oh my gosh, like you're so perfect, not you beautiful. Like, And then I'm like, hmm. Yeah. Hey, okay, see you next yeah. week. <laughs> we'll tell each other how beautiful we are again. <laughs> That shows you the that shows you the different levels of yeah. friendship. Yeah. And like with Chloe, I'm like able to like I'm just so lucky to like have a friendship like that with her. Because I'm also like able to like go a while without talking to her, but not ever have to worry about going too long because I'm like, oh my gosh, I haven't talked to her in like a few weeks. Are we still friends? Yeah. Like with her, I'm always gonna be one of her friends. Like I know that. No matter how much time passes, I know where I stand. She knows where she stands. And that just makes our friendship even better because we already know our relationship. Yeah. Right. Y'all are securing it. I wouldn't have. I mean, not a lot of people have that figured out. Mm -hmm. Like at all. And I'm just lucky enough. I have one friendship that is I'm like that with. But it's like years in the making. We've known each other since we were like five. Yeah. And you guys have been like that. Like your, your mom and I said from the beginning that that you two were almost more like sisters because you weren't afraid to get mad at each other and mm-hmm. to have that talk and sometimes even end up in tears and like yeah. separate rooms for a few hours. <laughs> yeah. But then you're like, okay, we're done. Let's go play again. But it was, you know? it was nice though, because our sisters are four years older than us. So growing up, we've always had like, my sister's not going to hang out with me when I'm four and she's eight, you know, like, yeah. she's not going to hang out with me when I'm 12 and she's 16. Like, so we were able, we were fortunate enough to have each other have the same age, go through the same things, and also be so close because that allowed us to kind of become sisters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's family it's, that's not blood. Yeah. We've talked about that oh a lot. Oh, my gosh. Family that's not blood ends up being a hell of a lot more family in some cases than, yeah. than not. So. Yeah, definitely. Well, thank you so much. This has been really good. I like this. It's been really good. Thank you for guest hosting. That was fabulous. I would love to hear as we were going through these expressions, if any came to your mind, if you thought, oh, wow, I I think of this expression and, uh, and how it could be seen as toxic. Yeah. Yeah. I'd love to continue the conversation because I'm sure there's tons of them. Oh, uh, yeah. I came up with five so easily. Yeah. There, There has to be so many. And just to let y'all know, we have two big collaborations coming up. Um, we're not going to spoil it and say who, but our one that is going to be in episode 16, and that is going to be a male collaboration. That. And that one's going to be a doozy. Like, I am so excited about that one because his story is absolutely phenomenal. It is breathtaking, and it is like, you just, it, it just never stops. Like, it, I feel for the guy, but to have his perspective, even after all of that, just shows what an amazing man and heart. Um, Absolutely. I can't yeah. wait to have him on the show. Yeah. And um, then we have another one who's an author who is writing her story. 
And then um, that one's in the end of uh, October. And then hopefully, like we said, we have, you know, our older daughters and then your younger daughter, Chloe, as well, that we hope as they come into town that we every once in a while one pops in and we have, you know, some family perspective in here because it's been so great to have JC with us today. Yeah, it's been awesome. Thank you. Thank you. All right. So this was episode 15 and we will see you back for episode 16. In two weeks. Bye.